Hey kids, a very tired and not so future future Mike here starting out an episode, so you know it's going to be fun. The reason you're hearing me first is because of the fact that it is currently 12.30 my time, and because of a series of reschedules and Luke's traveling plans and me dealing with the snowpocalypse, we couldn't record this episode until immediately following the big game. So what it basically means is that I don't have a lot of time to edit this before I go to bed tonight, but I want to make sure that you guys get your podcast on time because I'm really trying to be much better about making sure that they get there when they're supposed to. So what you're going to hear here is a full episode. It is not bonus content. It is a complete episode. But you're going to notice that it's not as cleanly edited as I usually try to do. I try to edit out a lot of long pauses. I try to make everything quick. And I, of course, spend a lot of time cutting out all the ums and ridiculous things. So it sounds like Luke and I always know what we're talking about. So this one's going to be a little more raw than usual. I hope that you guys will give me a little bit of leeway here because we have a lot of cool stuff to say in this episode. And by the time the next episode shows up, we're going to be back to the usual kind of editing quality that you guys have come to expect from us. That being said, Future Mike out. Enjoy episode 93. Well, hey there, everyone. Welcome back to episode 93 of Game Store Profits. My name's Luke Navarro. And I'm Mike Perna praying, praying, praying that we have a clean run because it's late. <laughs> we just watched the Super Bowl and we're recording this and I'm going to turn around and edit it to get it to you guys Monday morning. And so, yeah, good times all the way through. <laughs> so I will try not to say anything more stupid than normal. That's true. I, I'm okay with that. So just, clearly it is, uh, it's been Super Bowl day. I'll tell you what, I have had an eventful couple of days. I was I ha- in I have too. a car accident last night, and today is my birthday, so it, uh, and of course there was that whole Super Bowl thing. There, that, that other thing happened in the midst of all the craziness. So wait, yes. go back to the car accident? Yeah, I got rear-ended last night. That was that fun. That stinks. So, uh, you know how that is. Uh, things happen. Is the car okay? See, here's the thing. When you're me, you drive a heavily armored large vehicle. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining something out of Mad Max right now. It, I mean, it's like, you know, it's a little bit more socially acceptable. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think everything's okay. Um, it happened on the weekend, obviously, so... I have to wait until I can get it into a dealership and have them check everything underneath to make sure everything's okay. But um, on a cosmetic level, at least, it basically looks like my bumper got a little bit of paint on it. Her car is totaled like it got hit by some kind of car-crushing device. There is a benefit to driving the uber-huge armored tank. That's that's right. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, the, the vehicle that is designed to be able to withstand elk, blo- you know, on the road <laughs> and smashing into rocks and falling down into crevasses and things like that so, uh, can so handle say- a Mazda 3. What you're saying is you walk into a dealership and say, 
I want something that can run over a moose. What do you right. have? <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't really make that. You have to buy one and upgrade it to moose level. <laughs> but, you know. I like, I like the extra moose package. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, how are you doing? Uh, did you make it through the blizzard of uh, 15 there? I did, and I, I will say this. I, I was confused by people's reaction to this. Now, granted, there was some people who got nothing. This was the the biggest range of snowfall. Like, they were saying that everyone was going to get piled under feet of snow, and that just didn't happen. There were some people who got no snow, and I understand why those people are like, Where, where's the snow? I In our area, we got something like five or six inches of snow, and everyone's like, where's the blizzard? I'm like, guys... I didn't go to work today because of snow. Okay, so I'm a Californian. Any I lived in Texas gonna... for four years. It snowed like two days a year. So I don't have a lot of experience with snow. But today my buddy told me, actually our mutual buddy, they canceled church because of snow. Oh, yeah. That happens? It does. And like... It's incredible for me to co- comprehend the fact that there are still places on this planet where my friends live where weather stops commerce. Well, Luke, I believe the conversation has to begin with still on this planet where your friends live, there is weather. <laughs> That right there should blow your mind. Yeah, you know, I guess that's true. Today it was, um, 70. <laughs> What's the weather like here? None. We had a pleasant day most of the day today, and it was in the the mid-30s. Wow. I'd be crying. I'd be curled up in a little bowl, <laughs> crying, if it was in the mid-30s during the day. And, and that being said, it's snowing again right now, so... Wow. So... I guess, send a picture? I don't know. <laughs> All right, so, but we're not here to talk football. We're not here to talk weather. We're not here to talk automotive uh, comparative anatomy. There are other podcasts for all those. Right. Things. We are here to talk board games. And I'll tell you what, I haven't played that many, or at least that many new board games. But I did want to start off by following up on our last episode. Okay. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I mentioned that I was going to be traveling a lot between last episode and this episode, and I have Wh- been traveling a lot. Which is why we are, it's Sunday night, and I'm, we're recording right now. Right. Um, so, last episode I talked a little bit about solo games, solitaire games. Yes. Well, I was heading up to uh, my, the first week, I had to training up in, uh, in, an area north of San Francisco, um, Sonoma, essentially, if you guys know where that is. But uh, along the way, I stopped into a game store in San Rafael called Gamescape North. First off, what an awesome game store this is. Okay? This was a game store that sold games, not just magic cards. (laughs) And, like, you know, everything from chess... On through to hardcore, like, military tactical kind of games. Um, and I went in and I was like, hey, you know, I, I was actually going there to buy something specific. And we can talk about that later. 
But I also was like, hey, I'm going to be stuck here for a week in a hotel room. What do you got in terms of single-player games that are good? And they post, they directed me to a few, um, a lot of which were just co-op games that you can play single-player. Right. Which, I suppose that's single-player. I almost went ahead and bought Robinson Crusoe, but for some reason that game is still madly expensive. There's a lot that comes in that box. It's true. It is a very beautiful game. I'll give you that. Um, apparently, Castles of Mad King Ludwig has a single-person variant. Does did not, it now? Did not know that. Um, but I ended up buying a military... Okay. I do. What, help me. What's the name of these kind of games, right? They're in their own little section, and they're all just like straight-up historical military games, but they're board games. Right? Do you know the games I'm talking about? Kind they're, of? They're, they're not in the same universe as the games we normally talk about on this show. Are, are we looking like a Memoir 44? No, no, no. Memoir would be more in the like general play kind of session. This is stuff that's like advanced squad leader kind of games. Ah, okay. Um, a little more on the hardcore end of the right. spectrum. Uh, so folks, for you not, who don't know... Um, Advanced Squad Leader is if we're we're going on a range of abstraction, okay, from like a miniatures-based historical war game like, say, Flames of War, right? And on the other end of the scale is a abstracted version of World War II like Memoir 44. Um, In between there, there are these the whole realm of grid-based, hex-based games that are not miniatures games. They're board games, but they're very much in the vein of a miniatures game in terms of how they play. Well, I ended up picking up one of these called D-Day Dice. I've heard great things about D-Day Dice. Uh, so what D-Day Dice is, is the, the game comes with a series of battle maps that that take you through the history of the D-Day landings. And the conceit in this game is that all of the units, all of the cohesion that was that they went into D-Day with was immediately destroyed upon landing. And in order to continue to advance and take, uh, take objectives, soldiers had to kind of reform into these ad hoc units. And uh, officers kind of just attach themselves to whatever units they could find, and these ad hoc units would develop and grow as they moved forward. Uh, So the game plays out on uh, just a little map. It's probably, it might be like an 8.5 by 11 size. And each map is broken down into what they call sectors. Uh, They're essentially just squares on the map. Uh, So this is a very much, this is more toward uh, memoir. Right in terms of the abstraction, uh, but instead of playing with units, you are playing with a die, and the die represents your unit. Uh, other players can also join in, but you can play. So you can play this game co-op. You can play this game single player. Of course, I was playing single player. And what ends up happening is you have six dice uh, that are the red, white, and blue pairs of each, and on the die there are. Mo- a series of symbols. And you know, man, you know how much I love dice with symbols on them. 
It's true. I am a die with symbols on them fan boy. Okay, uh, so basically what happens is by rolling this dice, Yahtzee style, uh, you are collecting one of four resources. Uh, the first resource is men. Right? You start off with, I think, depends on the map, but mostly you start off with like four men. Uh, you can get item points that you can use later on to purchase items. And the, the idea there is that you're finding items along the way. And this is just a kind of a numerical representation of your luck in scrounging up items. There are stars, which are like item points, except you use those to purchase officers. You might purchase a medic, or a general, or a scout, or a sniper, or all kinds of different ones, depending on the scenario. And then the final one is courage. And you have to earn courage to move forward on the map. Now, you may you can stay on each section of the map only three turns. Every time you're in a section, each section will do damage to you. Each section has a base damage, and then there can there might also be added on damage. There might be say like a minefield in that section or a machine gun turret in that section that is going to do additional damage to you. So, you are balancing whether an extra turn will get you more dice rolls where you can get more resources, but you're going to take damage along the way. Um, this game is like the epitome of tactical gameplay. And we talk about this a lot. It's one of my things. There's strategic gameplay and tactical gameplay. Tactical is the on-the-ground decisions. What are you going to do with the dice that are, uh, that are in front of you? And I love that kind of gameplay. Um, one of the little wrinkle, uh, this uses a system that they call the red, white, and blue system. Like, as I mentioned, they're red, white, and blue dice. Uh, if you get combinations between the red, white, and blue, if you get all of the same thing, if you get, you know, uh, Yahtzee style, if you get pairs and that kind of stuff, you get bonuses as well. Uh, and then there is a negative die roll, something that will cancel out your die rolls as well. So, basically, this is a... Uh, tactical-based, uh, scenario-driven version of World War II, the D-Day landings, using a pretty elaborate Yahtzee mechanic. Um, it's a great little game. It's not at all for everybody, in the sense that it's not pick-up-and-play, it's not... Um, not super easy to intuit what's happening um and it's hard you will die a <laughs> lot um which uh, you know happened a lot uh, on the DJ landings um so yeah I was really pleased with that uh, really pleased with this little game store I found they had all kinds of stuff of course they had all the new stuff but they had a lot of like back catalog stuff too, old stuff that I'd never heard of before. Uh, so a lot of fun there. Excellent. Well, uh, so, I... so what have you been playing, Mike? I, I will say that I've been playing a bunch of stuff. I too have been playing a couple solo games, like I've mentioned a couple of times. Uh, I've been working on researching the difference between playing games with a bunch of people versus playing solo games because so many games are coming out 
Especially, like you said, the cooperative games, a lot of them have the you-can-totally-play-this-by-yourself option. So I've been playing a couple. I played Freedom the Underground Railroad, and let me tell you, as hard as it was to end slavery, period, trying to end it by yourself, (laughs) super, super hard. Um, I also played a lot of Dungeon Roll, which is a cool little kind of, it's a dice game where you're you roll your party of adventurers and then you have a separate set of dice that are all monsters and treasure chests and weird stuff that you're going to find. And I, I really think that that right there is one of my favorite solo games. Solo to I, two I actually players. went in looking for that game, but they didn't have it at that store. So Ah, well they should get it because it is awesome. I'm not just doing that because CB Darden and I have had Twitter conversations. Uh... I'm going to tell you that that's a fantastic pickup. It's like $15 at your local store if you see it and you're looking for that real simple, real quick game to play with yourself or uh, with you and one other person. Fantastic buy. Uh, But I played a lot of that. I also played a bunch of Doomtown. I got a whole bunch of games of Doomtown in and man does that make me happy. Because I've been developing my decks, and I will tell you that I've made... I don't know if I've made the definitive statement on air yet, but in the great discussion between Netrunner and Doomtown, if I have to pick a winner, it's Doomtown. Wow. It is Doomtown. I still love Netrunner, uh, but I have made the definitive statement so that my my budget doesn't explode. Um, (laughs) The next big box that Netrunner does, I'm going to buy that, and I am, after that, I am done buying Netrunner cards. I have a whole bunch. Right. I have enough to make four or five different decks, and I'm okay with that. That way I have enough that I can play. If somebody, if somebody wants to learn, I can teach them with one of the, one of the decks that I have enough cards to make, and I'm going to be perfectly happy with that. Doomtown, whoever, is coming out with its first big box expansion itself they're calling it the pine box expansions and it's going to bring in if you if you're not used to doomtown it is weird west we've brought it up a bunch of times before please feel free to listen to older episodes for more intense interactions with doomtown but one of the in the old role playing game of deadlands there were uh, hucksters who did magic they did hexes you had shamans who did, like, uh, I forget what they called them, but it was basically some kind of natural, like, magic in that degree. And then there were blessed characters who did miracles. And this first Pine Box expansion is going to bring in the blessed dudes and the, and the miracles. And I'm super excited about this because I have been going off that I want to make a deck with the Law Dog uh, faction... And it's going to all be filled with the churches of Gomorrah. It's going to be filled with uh, things like the Holy Wheel Gun. I'm going to just load it up. And I'm super excited to get the blessed dudes. Because I don't know if it's just me being cheesy or what. But I just I just want to bring in the holy men. And just totally kick out the abominations from Gomorrah. Because I think that would be the greatest thing ever. I'm super excited about this. <laughs> That's awesome. And you know what? I think it's cool, going back to the Netrunner, 
um, one of the nice things about, and I think now, okay, I, I remember reading a couple, maybe month or two ago, that Fantasy Flight is going to be um, retiring cards from play, but that's the, really the way, it, the way it works is is that if you're playing at a competitive level, if you're going to tournaments. Uh, I believe it's in... I think the first set cycles out sometime in, like, 2016. But after so many set, like, full sets, after so many years, an entire set will go out of comp- competition. Right. But but somehow, to me, it feels different than what happens in Magic. Where, basically, Magic, you have two years of cards that you can play with. Because Magic seems to me to only there's there's very little casual play in Magic. Uh, anymore, there yeah. Anymore, you're pretty much playing tournaments. And you know, for me, it feels like with Netrunner, like okay, so you've got your set of cards, whatever you decided. Okay, this is the cards that I have. Because of the living card system, where you have all of the cards in up until that run, or including all of the different expansions that you've gotten, it basically becomes a closed system, like a board game. Yeah, I have. I I will have whenever I decide I'm going to stop. Now, granted, there's going to be some stuff that other people will have that I don't. Sure, but I will. But in have, terms of your play group, yeah, I will have like, a complete game. Right. It'll just be like any other game where it's like, hey, I can pull these out and we can play. Right. Yeah, I think that's really cool. So yeah, that's. I I will still play Netrunner if you get in touch with me ahead of time and like say, hey, Perna, you know, bring your your. Netrunner cards to Gen Con, I totally want to throw down. I will do that. I will bring decks and we will play. But I I do not want to be actively participating in the card buying experience for Netrunner anymore. So, I have a boatload of cards. I don't need any more. So now, when it comes down to the differences between the two, are you more interested in the flavor of Doomtown or the gameplay of Doomtown? What is it that that differentiates the two to the point where you've decided that this is a better game. It was it was both. For me, it is the flavor. I, I, I enjoy cyberpunk. I enjoy that whole, we're going to you know run through the net and everything like that. I like that. But for me, there's something more, I don't, know, I don't know if it's the fact that it's just more visceral or the fact that by nature I tend to be more fantastic in the way I, I view theme and stuff like that. Um, I, I like the Western theme. I like the gunslingers who are also tossing out magic, who are, you know, also just doing all sorts of crazy stuff. It's not, I, I like the, the mechanics of it. I love the poker hands. I love that magic is not just, it has a, a, a if you don't build your deck well, you're not going to be able to do things. I like the fact that it brings in like steampunk ele- elements with, uh, the Mad Scientist cards. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff you can do with it, and they've only just started to put out new cards for this. And I also like the fact that it tells a story. Like, the way AEG is putting out, they're, they're previewing their cards, it literally is like, they're, they're bringing out stories about the cards and the characters on them. And new card sets, will you'll start seeing that some of the dudes have the same last name because they're family and I'm like, I love this. I am I am constructing this amazing little world with all these families and characters. And I love that. And I love the 
the the more strategic, the tactical. You know, you talk about tactical. The fact that it's it's area control basically. It is. I'm going to move my guy here and put him here and do this and take and take control of this deed and and move guys around and position them because basically Netrunner is. Do I have the tools? I'm going to go there. Which is fun. I like it. But if you're asking me to pick between the two, I'm going to pick the one that says I have to move this guy here and then bring this guy from the home base up to here and I'm going to boot this guy and bring him from clean across the board. Like, I love that stuff. I love that that tactical element. And plus, I mean, holy wheel gun. Yeah, see, yeah, I, 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 th- I get that. Holy wheel gun, where the picture, if I'm not mistaken, it literally has, like, it's a it's a gun. It's an old six-shooter with the words, the right hand of God etched in the side of the barrel. And I'm like, I, I want that. <laughs> I want that in my life. <laughs> nice. Well, speaking of uh, fantasy and westerns smooshed together, <laughs> um, I uh, mentioned a few episodes back that my kids are into Star Wars Rebels. Yes. And I also mentioned in this episode that I went up to San Rafael, stopped at this game store for a particular reason. Now, the reason is because I decided I wanted to run a Star Wars role-playing campaign for my kids and my family. Nice. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the Star Wars Fantasy Flight role-playing system. So it, uh, at first, I gotta say, when I looked at it, I was like, what is going on here? Um, I had to actually kind of research it a little bit, because you look at your game store and you're like, there's a couple of different role-playing systems happening here, this doesn't make sense. Now, are Um, you talking about, are you talking about the new ones? The new ones, yeah. Now, are Uh, you doing, there's two of them, right? There's there's two uh, and actually three, I don't think the third one's out yet, but it's like really, really close. So Edge of the you, Empire. Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, and the next one is going to be about the Force. I forget what it's called. Um, but the idea was that they're they're sort of uh, developing gameplay mechanics as they go. And each one of these has a beginner's set and a core rulebook. And then a bunch of expansions and stuff like that. But... To start, you would either start with the beginner set or the core rulebook. I decided to go with the core rulebook, um, specifically because I'm playing with my kids, and the beginner's adventures didn't really work. It wouldn't have caught their attention. I need to craft a story that is that has kids involved and that they'll uh, that they'll enjoy. Um, and so I had to go in for the full-on 450-page. Uh, rule book for Edge of the Empire and um, so far uh, as I go through it I'm really enjoying the system the system is uh, is very narrative driven so the primary mechanic is this uh, just like in any other game you you have your stats which are like you know your intelligence and your charisma and stuff like that and your abilities which is maybe say, slicing, or computers, or astrogation, or heavy weapons, or whatever. But the the way that you don't, you're not rolling a d20, it's not a d6 system, it is, wait for it, custom 
dice. You know, I love custom dice. <laughs> um, and so basically, uh, there are three positive dice, if you will, and three negative dice. And so you collect your group of positive dice based on your abilities, and you collect the negative dice based on the difficulty of whatever is happening. Um, so just as an example, let's say you wanted to hack a computer, right? Well, let's say that's based on your intelligence and your slicing ability, okay? Well, let's say you had an intelligence 3 and a slicing 2, just to say. You take the higher number, and that determines how many dice you're going to get. So you initially have 3, you're going to grab 3 of the D6s, essentially, the custom D6s. Well, then you get to upgrade two of those, because of your slicing skill is two, to the D8s, which have even more goodness available on them. And uh, then you can use this thing called Destiny to upgrade even farther to get the D10. On each of these dices, there are Victory, and on the, uh, the opposing dice there is Defeat, but there's also Advantage and Threat. And so what's really cool about this is you throw the dice. If there's more successes than failures, you win. You do whatever it was you were doing. You hack that computer. That's great. If there's more failures than successes, you failed. Okay, that, that's great. That makes perfect sense. But check this out. Regardless of how that comes out, you also have this thing with advantage and threat that happens. So say you roll and you succeed. You hack the computer. But you've got way more threat than you got advantage. Well then, yes, you're going to get the data on the computer, but you tripped the computer alarm, or whatever. The GM has to take into account what the, the advantage and threat is, and narrate based on that. And so it's giving you a randomization into the storytelling aspect of what's happening, and it encourages players, if they win, if they get the advantage, to come up with the advantage they they got. It's not like built into the system. You just have to decide what it is. You have to imagine and role play what it is. Um, so that's very cool. Uh, the other thing I really enjoy about it is is the destiny system. Um, this is eventually going to be force powers. But at the beginning of each gaming session, you roll some force die to determine how many destiny points are going to be in play during that game. Let's say you get three destiny points. Well, you might assume that that means that sometime along the way the the player characters can use three destiny points to improve their stats or whatever right not so much the destiny points are a uh there there are three but every time a positive destiny point is used it becomes a negative destiny point for the gm to use later and so you have this balance going back and forth. Every time something positive happens, something negative is going to happen down the road. And so you end up with this, this really cool narrative shift that's going back and forth. Um, and then all that, to add to all that, you're in the Star Wars universe, which is just awesome anyway. So I am super excited. I have been working on putting together this campaign, trying to figure out how to introduce the kids into role-playing and... Um, how to simplify the system without uh, neutering the system, you know? And, uh, yeah, so that's something I'm really excited about. I'll report more on that as it develops. 
So what you're telling me is, is that you've entered into training so that in future Inroads Plays videos, we're going to be playing... I'm, I want to play a Wookiee. Absolutely. <laughs> you got it. You got it. I will ask, it, you know, I say that flippantly, but is Wookiee a playable race? Of course, yes. Yes. In fact, um, the system is set up, so yes, there are playable races. They are there, and... They'll give you all of their stats. They'll give you all of their special abilities. But it says right there, Star Wars is a universe full of aliens. If you don't like any of these, make up one. Right. That's awesome. And the, the it's so narratively driven. And we've talked about this ad nauseum. Well, heck, that, <laughs> I mean, that's the same with Numenera. I mean, you can come up with your own stats and everything for Numenera, basically, too. Because it's so narrative driven that you, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, and so, and I think though for the kids, it's going to be really great because the mechanic is the story. It's not just like, oh, well, you hit their armor. Yeah, okay, the armor determines what dice get thrown, but once the dice get thrown, it's the story that has to unfold, not whether or not you got through their armor. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited to try it out. The other, uh, you know, we bring up role-playing systems. Uh, recently, there's been kind of an influx of people talking about the, and also Fantasy Flight, uh, the end of the world games. Have you heard about these? I have not. They're, I don't know when the release schedule is for all of them, but there's going to be a complete series. The first one got released recently, and that's the, uh, the of course, the end of the world. It's the zombie apocalypse. The cool thing about this is, is that you are not necessarily creating characters so much as literally putting yourself in the game. The premise is that at the same time the zombie apocalypse is happening, your friends at the table were going to sit down to play a role-playing game, but instead of playing this role-playing game, the end of the world is happening. So your, your stats, you get all these different varying characteristics, you get some that are negative, some that are positive... And the character creation seems really interesting. I, I listened to the guys over at the gamers table do, run through character creation real quick, and everything is voted on by the people. So you can't just load yourself up with these positive qualities. Uh, everyone has the ability to say, yeah, that's you, or that's not you at all. What the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> nice. And, uh, and, and all those votes have different stuff that goes on. And your inventory, the stuff you have, is literally the stuff you bring to the table. If your cell, if you have your cell phone, what uh, percentage of battery do you have left? That you have that now in the state it's currently at. Like, I love that. I love the fact that your inventory is literally what you have on you. Now I'm sick and tired of zombies. I don't want another zombie game. But I've looked into the into the press releases that they've put out. Uh, there will be a... It, they don't call it Cthulhu, but there's a very squid-like looking thing on the Twitter <laughs> Gods one, is what I'm saying. I don't know if they're calling it Cthulhu or not, but it might as well be if they're not. Uh, there's going to be a Terminator-esque Rise of the Robots. And I think the other one is Aliens. But and it's it's all this same concept. This idea of it happens right now. What do you? How will you survive? And I I think the whole thing just sounds fascinating. And I I hope to to look more into it. Probably going to end up picking it up when 
it's not just zombies because I'm I'm so done with zombies. You know, I actually, I, so I have always been, and this is, uh, I, as I say this, I realize that I'm not really breaking from this tradition too much, but I've always been the guy who did not want to dive into the the incredible rabbit hole that is role-playing systems. Okay, because you've got your, like, top three or four or five. Well, as and saving then, the games guys introduced to us the last time we had them on, holy cow, is there a lot of great indie content, too. Right, and then you've got 87 million that are just all the way down there. And to me, it's very similar to, to miniature wargaming. Right? You've got your like top five. It's actually probably more like top fifteen, top twenty. But and then there's everybody just else. Just everybody else. And don't have the time, don't have the money to get into that. But I guess I kinda I guess what I'm saying here is that with role playing, to me it seems like it's becoming instead of just a top two, three, it's becoming a top five, becoming a top ten. There are are bigger uh companies putting their weight behind their role-playing game systems that are, uh, you know, if Fantasy Flight does something, it's going to be around for a while. And they're going to support it. You know, it's not going to just be some obscure thing that you can only get on print-on-demand or on the one store in Indiana that carries these kind of things, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see how it goes and how it's developed because I I think you're right. There is the, the world of role playing games is opening up and a lot of people I think they started to realize once Paizo kinda grabbed their piece of the pie and went, Huh, so it's not just D and D. Other people can do this and do it well. I think that kinda opened up the field for some of these other games to to really put forth quality, quality stuff, and I, I'm i looking forward to see what more voices start happening. Well, and I think also that the the wide, the humongous boom in board games has become the gateway drug, if you will, into the wider world of geekdom. Right. Because let's just be, let's be honest here, role-playing and miniature wargaming are way more hardcore than board gaming. That oh, doesn't it, mean it, you can't be a hard game bo- hardcore board gamer, but... They are way more involved. It just uh, it just takes more commitment of the players. Absolutely. As it stands, you know, I I will say that the the likelihood is that my Numenera game is dead in the water because out of my four players, only two of them have even gotten back to me on when we're playing the next game, and that was a month ago. So, it it takes a commitment. It takes somebody saying. I'm really excited about this. I want to learn more. I want to develop my character. Here's the next so many dates I'm available. When can we do this? Right. Because you can't just say, hey, I'm bored. Let's get this together. Right. You can't, you hey, can't do you that. know, I'm not doing anything this weekend. Let's uh, paint 400 miniatures. Go. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's just never going to happen. Uh, or let's, you know, read a 300-page rule book and rule some characters. Uh, but I, I'm glad to see, uh, and, and I'm also glad to see that there's more happening in uh, in miniature wargaming as well. Um, but the the whole the whole world, everything we're into, is opening up just a little bit, and that's what we're all about. 
Um, so, well, anything not, else you've been playing, or are we ready to move on to, on to yeah, the news? Yeah, I, I kind of want to get to this, because I also think that this has... There's some interesting conversations that can happen in the whole breakout to talk about more philosophical and spiritual things with this, too. Not the actual act itself, but the reaction that this little bit of Kickstarter news has caused from the gaming community. Um, have you heard about the the thing that is the... the it, I can't even call it a thing. It's a force of nature called Exploding Kittens. Five million dollars. Five million dollars. In fact, I've got it kicked up right now. At recording, it is at five million... $88,235 for a deck of cards with kittens blowing up. Now, to be fair, there is, you know, some people will tell you that it's not, there isn't a game at all. And I won't go that far. I think there is enough to it that it's not, it's not just another, like, flux ripoff. Pick up a card, play a card, pick up a card, play a card. I think there is more to it than that. So a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that I backed something on Kickstarter and uh, and picked up a, an extra a couple episodes ago, maybe a couple months ago. Right. Picked up an extra one that once I get it will be uh, for one of our fine listeners. Um, and uh, at the moment, I can't think of the name, but it's about zombies, and uh, it is essentially a mini card game version of. Rock, paper, scissors. Well, this is essentially a mini card game version of Russian roulette. Right. You draw until you get shot. Or your kitty explodes. Right. As the case and there may are, be. There are cards which say you force another player to, to go or uh, skip your own turn and make somebody else draw. But it's basically keep drawing until you pick up the exploding cat and you're out of the game. Right. The reason, if you're wondering how a deck of cards with silly little pictures of exploding cats has raised $5 million to become one of, if not the largest Kickstarter for games to date, it is because there is a webcomic attached to this referred to as The Oatmeal. The Oatmeal has a huge following. And I will say right now that part of the reason it's $5 million, like, let me just go, let me just real quick, again, at time of recording, uh, the very first pledge level, 8,808 backers. The first pledge level. Most Kickstarters don't get that many total. Then, the, yeah, the next one, 119,000 plus are in that level. So, I, I don't understand the backlash against this. That This is like saying, well, a company I love is putting out a calendar. So, I'm going to buy their calendar to support the company. Or, you know, it's not even a company. It's a, it's a, a creator is putting out a calendar to support... So buy their, your cool calendar with their custom art on it, and awesome, you get something neat, and they get supported. That's all this is. Right. I don't, I don't get the backlash. A lot of people like these people, so they made a lot of money. Yay! It's got nothing to do with the game. The game looks stupid. 
Well, the, and that right there is, I think, what's causing a lot of backlash from some of the gaming community. It's because, like, I've had people comment about, like, I'll, I'll say something about games or whatever, and somebody says, this is this will explain it, and they'll put a link to the Exploding Kittens Kickstarter. Uh, I've had lots of people throw out the, this is why we can't have nice things comment. Um, basically... People are, are saying, this is not a good game. Here are 15 other really great games that are not getting funded because you guys are making a card game about exploding cats. That has nothing to do with that. I, I agree. I agree. But that's, I think, now obviously I can't speak for everybody, but I think that's the what's causing the kind of like mini uproar, the seething rage that has yet to make f- make full explosive reaction. It's just this this undergirded awful that is kind of bubbling up because of this. Uh, well, I will say that there, there is something a little bit significant in this, and that is that the board game culture has become significant enough that it has a meme. Oh, it has a that's couple, what this is. It has a handful of memes. <laughs> Exploding kittens is a meme. Okay. People are into it. They think it's funny, so they're going to throw a couple bucks toward it. They like these guys, oatmeal. I don't even know who they are. I don't care. But it's, you know, a a blip of internet neatness that people are into. It's going to be gone tomorrow. And the fact that it overlapped with board games just means that, you know, they could have done anything. They could have done a calendar with whatever their stupid artwork is, and people would probably still have given them... $500 $500 million, or $5 billion, however much it was. $500 million would be a lot. <laughs> well, I, I think I it all... Draw, if it was $500 million, I'd start drawing bad cartoons. Yeah. I think what this boils down to is is that people are viewing this as, this is not a good game. And now, granted, I, I'm not saying that... I have no idea what this game is even like. Uh, all I have is the couple seconds of Kickstarter video. Um, but... They're looking at this going, man, this is a stupid game. Look at all these other games. They are fantastic. Why aren't you buying these games? Why aren't these games getting the attention? It is basically the same thing as as looking at, at anything in the world. Like, oh man, I can't believe you spent so much on, well, we just watched the Super Bowl. Katy Perry tickets. Why couldn't you do that, take that money and buy this awesome thing that I love? Stop buying the thing that you love and put that money towards buying things that I love. And yeah, I think I think you, that's you, you kind of the core. It. I think that's the core of what is going on here. Because people are thinking they're buying this game because it's a great game. Look at this cool game. They're not. They're going, the oatmeal did something. I must own it. Right. I completely agree. And here's the, the, the bigger issue. Who cares? Hey. That's a very good question. <laughs> what do you care what somebody does with his money? I mean, look, it's not hurting anybody. It's not like somebody's, you know... They're, it's, it's not, not like, like they're, they're actually they're, blowing they're pledging, up kittens. Yeah, to blow up kittens, exactly. Um, you know, it's it's a stupid thing that people would like to spend their spare change on. Right. Good for them. I, I spend my money on all kinds of dumb stuff. Right. It's my money. I'm allowed to spend it on whatever stupid things my wife says I'm allowed to spend it on. I think 
I, you know, I bring this up, the, the whole transition into the deeper stuff, is I think that we all do this on, on you know, pick a topic. We all do, why are you doing that stupid thing? You should be doing the thing that I like. Why do you care so much about that thing that doesn't mean anything to me? You should care about the thing that I care about. Right. Or the thing that is is uh, active and prevalent in my life right now. Right. And and we do it with everything. Like, I've lost track of the number of people who do this with, like, charity stuff. Oh, my goodness. Why should we spend so much money on this when there's other issues going on? Like, uh, the most recent one, and I got sick of this, and I actually, like, went off on some people. Why should we spend so much on Ebola? It's all it's all staying in Africa. Why should we, why should we take, we should take care of our own. And... I'm going to tell you, especially the fact that there are people who listen to us that aren't in America, that's what we said. As a country, that's what we were saying when Ebola was, like, devastating a country. We said, in the news, I heard this. Why are we spending so much good time and sending so many good quality people over there when we have so many issues at home to take care of? And... Exploding Kittens is a sad little microcosm of that problem to me. Not the game itself, but the reaction that we're giving it to. I It just seems like the sad little microcosm of this huge problem of, but it's not what I want you to take care of. Right. And, uh, you know, as you describe that, I, I think about, because coming from the pastoral perspective, we, pastors... Really bad at this, you know. Um, it's the well. I just went to this seminar, or I'm dealing with this in my own life, and that's fine. We we have to talk about uh, uh, things from our perspective, and you know, when we're telling our stories, we're telling our stories. But the truth is, we have to remember that not everybody else is experiencing the same thing that we're experiencing. And we can come off as as pretty harsh sometimes, and and I even think about this in terms of evangelism, and specifically cross faith evangelism. Oh yeah, um, you know it's it we be, can become militant. That, you know we we think well we're correct and you're wrong. Well, even if you actually believe that that this idea that that somebody else might have an actual intellectual faith that uh, they're reasonable, decent human beings who are going about, you know, being a Buddhist or being a Muslim or being a Jew or being whatever, and they're completely uh, authentic about it. It's an honest pursuit for them, and you know, we can sometimes come across like, "Well, you're an idiot for doing this. How come you don't see things my way?" Right. And that's essentially what this is. It's Asking the world, why doesn't everybody see things my way? Yeah, I, I think we do that a lot. And uh, to be clear, you know, you and I would both consider ourselves fairly high on the evangelical scale of the street here. We're, I think so. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, I mean, we both went to Dallas Seminary, the bastion of all things, evangelicalism. And we'll both say it. Guys, we do a crappy job of evangelizing to people who have a faith other than ours. 
because we, as a rule, we do tend to just come in and beat them over the head with, oh, that silly, silly heathen, we need to, to right the wrong here. And, you know, I, I believe what I believe so strongly that I will say, yeah, I think if you believe something wrong, something else, it's wrong. I, I believe that. I do. But at no point, at no point does that give me the right to say, you're an idiot. But I think, and I'm, I, I am guilty of this from time to time, and I'm trying to be a lot better about it. That can't be our go-to mindset. It can't well, be. And, and we are better about it with certain groups than we are with others. Right. For example, just as a rule, I mean, just, I'm just saying, Christians tend to accept Buddhists better than Jehovah Witnesses. Oh, yeah. You know, we think Buddhists are just, well, they were raised in a different culture, perhaps, or or it's just a different path, but it's all along the same way, or it's not even a spiritual thing, it's just a, a practice. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are morons. Right. You know, who have been either brainwashed, or they're just stupid, or they're desperate, or whatever, fill in the blank. We're not nice to these folks. I mean, we may be on a personal level when we interact with them one-on-one, but as a community... And this is what we're talking about here, because we're talking about an internet meme that it's a community level, which is not very nice. And, uh, you know, uh, it, that also speaks to the whole idea that uh, you would never say to somebody who pulls out exploding kittens, wow, you're an idiot. What kind of games do you, why do you play such stupid games? Right. But somehow when it's a, a group of people buying it on the internet, Those well, guys that's okay. Are... Those guys are ridiculous. They should they should stop wasting their money. Right. Yeah, I, I I keep wanting to go back to that. Just that that idea of not coming down so hard on people. Now, the, every time I say that, there's always that that voice in the wilderness that says we need to speak the truth in love. And I every time that somebody says that to me, I go, Yeah, remember the second part of that statement. Because we're really good. We're super good at saying, you know, saying what the truth is. Quite frankly, Exploding Kittens looks like a stupid game. It does. I can come up with a bunch of games that look more fun and more interesting and and require more thought and strategy than pick up a card, I hope you don't explode. It, it, It just is. But at no point does... You're being a stupid person for buying this game, speaking the truth in love. It's basically saying, stop being so stupid and get right. In even worse language. <laughs> and I, I don't know. that For me, I've just gotten to a point where I, I constantly have conversations with people. I, I'm constantly about the business of talking to people about God. And especially now with inroads really taking off, I've I've had more conversations about the nature of the gospel and the beauty of grace and the the blessing that just living a life with God has because so many times we treat the gospel like a a goal to be reached and then done. Like we're we're just all shooting for the finish line rather than looking at the fact that that God is with us here and now. 
every time I have these conversations, I just think, man, this is a person who needs to know, but I can't force it on them. I can only show and I can only invite. And I want to hear where they're coming from, what they know, what they've experienced. You know, as as you try to explore where they are, that then you can insert the truth. You can say, oh yeah, but by the way, let me tell you about what Jesus says about that very same thing. You know, it... There's a so, difference between sharing and just hammering. Right. Let me let me just make a real practical, you know, what if scenario here. Okay. Uh, a new neighbors move in down the road from you, maybe next door to you. They're a lovely East Indian family. They have a couple of kids, just like you have a couple of kids. You don't. I'm being, you know, generic yes. here. And uh, you decide, hey, I want, I want to know my neighbors. And they maybe they say, hey, they want to know their neighbors. And they invite you to dinner. And you go and you realize that Indian food is the best food on the planet. Because <laughs> it kind of is. And, uh, uh, you know, so you, you've got this relationship. And you're there and you're in the house and you're chatting about life. And they've got, uh, you know, some religious paraphernalia just like you do. Except there just shows that they're probably Hindu. What do we do? Well, we could just jump into a spiritual conversation. That's what we're trained to do. And then explain to them right away from the Bible how they're wrong and we're right. Or you can just be their friend. You can just be their neighbor. You can invite them to church. Maybe they're going to invite you to to their worship service. You should go if they do. You get to know these folks. You share their spiritual journey with them. And trust that we are right. The gospel is true. We don't need to prove it to them. It's already, it's already, the reality is it's true. They just need to see it. We don't need to make it true. And so instead of, of having that desperate, frantic need to convince everybody that what you believe is correct... Instead, trust that what you believe is correct. Live what you believe and know that the outcome of you living your faith will be other people following in our faith. That doesn't mean that when the time is right, you don't share the gospel. Of course you do. But we don't need to be frantic and desperate about it. I hate being frantic and desperate. It's one of the worst experiences you can have. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the, the past articles we've put out for Inroads when we talk about our, our more evangelistic uh, events that we've run, uh, there's a handful of, of points that really reflect this. We have the no preaching rule, which says that there's no preaching other than that which is invited. And I'm not talking about the host. I'm talking about the people. We will at no point shy away from a religious conversation if in the course of getting to know people they ask but at our events we we go out of our way to not have a message because we are about the business of building relationships that will lead to long-term change and then the long uh, speaking of that in there's one thing that I did called uh, playing the long game which is one of our more popular articles and it requires something of you. It requires something to be in that long haul because anybody can do a sit down, drop the gospel run. Anybody can do that. I can train you to do that in three minutes, 
But now, granted, God can do what He does, but He can do that with you know a paper towel as much as He can do it with you. He's God; He can do that with anything He wants. Uh, you know, uh, man, I I can't help but bring it back to the fact that today was the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And uh, spoiler alert. In case you didn't watch the Super Bowl yesterday, I don't know. And, Maybe you and have never schedule. checked the internet and have never... <laughs> right. Uh, this game came down to the last couple of seconds. And you know what? And if at any point along the way they were, they said, hey, we got to score all the points right now. Right now in the first quarter. That's just not the way the game plays. The game isn't over till the game is over. And you have to play the whole way through. And sometimes as evangelicals we want to play a very short game we want to just get in drop the mic walk away and walk away and you can't do that because that that goes on tomorrow their life goes on tomorrow and you need to be in a place where tomorrow isn't this void where you had a, a couple sentences the other day and then just nothing. Because even if they make this profession of faith, if you just drop them, what happens to that? There's no discipleship. There's no growth. There's literally just, hey, I'm a Christian. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and... I think that that a lot of times we end up trying to do that because it's hard to play the long game. It's hard to look at somebody and say, I'm going to hang out with you even if you never actually believe what I do. But I'm going to be here and I'm going to commit to being part of your life and I'm going to be some somebody that you can trust and that you can turn to and that you actually want to talk to. And I'm going to bring up my faith. I'm going to share, you know, the fact that that my relationship with God is so pivotal to me that I I would be a completely different person had that not been a part of my life. I will share that with you because it's who I am. But you do that not having the the understanding that he he's totally definitely going to come to Christ if I keep doing this. He might not, but that doesn't mean that you don't continue to be there, and that's hard. You know, bringing it back to some of the things we talked about on this episode, 99,999 times out of 10,000, sharing our faith with someone is not like a mini game where mm. you can play the thing in two minutes and the game is over. It's Love Letter, the gospel edition. Yeah, you know, it's so much more often. It's not even like a board game. It's like that role-playing game we were talking about. Or it's like that, that miniature war game we were talking about, where it takes commitment. It takes community to say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there every week at this time. I'm going to be there. I'm going to put in the work to make sure my army's painted. I'm going to spend time building the narrative so that we can play this game together. It takes commitment to share the gospel. Now, for those few times that you do get to share the gospel quickly and somebody's life is impacted, incredible. Thank you, God, for letting any one of us be part of that. But that's not the norm. 
the norm is a long haul, long game. And sometimes the game even outlasts you getting to play that game. Sometimes it's that game gets passed on to somebody else. And you never know how that game ends. But, as we say every week, we do know who's running the game. And we have to trust that. Yep, and trust is the hard part. Because we all want to push the magic button that says, everything's awesome! We want to get it done right now, and make sure that we're the one who uh, put our names down next to it. Yeah, we're the ones who push the button in that case. And that's that's when we fail. When we're the ones trying to push the button, we fail. Well, folks, we do have a whole lot on these kind of topics, uh, and you can check that out. By going to our, uh, our the website for our greater ministry, uh, inroadsministries.com. Uh, if you want to talk about board games, you want to talk about the community that we're talking about, you can do that at our Facebook fan page, uh, The Tavern, or you can go to gamestoreprofits.com and uh, listen to this show and 92 others, 92, I think, mm-hmm. others. Uh, and, of course, we're coming up on episode 100. That's going to be a big one. We're going to have a lot of friends join us for that episode. It'll be an awful lot of fun. Uh, Mike, you got anything that uh, we need to share with the peoples? Uh, I've got lots of things to share with the peoples. Um, I will start off by saying that our paperwork with the state is has partly gone through. We still appreciate any and all prayers as the process continues because right now... Our stuff is being approved by the IRS for a poss- for our possible 501c3, and if that happens and that goes through, you might actually hear me shout for joy, because that has been a huge part of my life recently, and I don't want it to be anymore. Uh, I want that to be done so we can get to the better, awesome stuff of ministry, as opposed to the bureaucratic nightmare of ministry. So definitely be praying about that. I can tell you that... I don't know exactly when, and I don't know if it's this week, next week, or the following week, but uh, earlier this week, I got to sit down with the man, the myth, the legend, Tom Vassell. Uh, he and I discussed the, uh, the topic of using tabletop gaming as evangelism on his podcast, The Dice Steeple, so definitely be checking that out. I will throw out many, many links to that, and... Yeah, continue to be looking for the stuff on our website. We're continuing to grow content. We're looking to get a whole bunch of stuff. I will say that Grant called me out on saving the game. They did their most recent episode was their New Year's resolution, and he basically said, hey, I've been working on this podcast with Mike Perna, and we need to get that done. So I will continue to say that I'm super busy and I'm working hard on this, but it will happen. Uh, I'm... I will not say what it's called yet because I'm particularly happy with the name of it. And you can blame Grant because it's an awesome, awesome thing that he came up with. But it's going to be a lot of using role-playing games, just giving you stuff to play with in your various worlds. And I'm trying to think of anything else. But if... Oh, Gen Con is... Our plans have been set for Gen Con. I've officially asked off of work for the day job. I have talked with Derek White uh, about the plans. And I am all in for Gen Con. So, I normally, 
when I start saying that I've made plans for Gen Con, I will tell you, just hit the booth and I'll probably be there. Because Inroads has become a lot bigger than it was even last year, a lot of people want to see me and a lot of people want to play games and a lot of people uh, are trying to make stuff happen. And that's above and beyond being at the booth, doing the panel, stuff like that. This is above and beyond that. So my dance card is becoming very full very quickly. But I want to see people. So if you're going to be at Gen Con and you want to hang out, definitely make sure that you email me at mike at inroadsministries.com, that you follow me on Twitter. You can either follow the Inroads account, uh, which is just at Inroads, or my personal account, which is uh, Mike the Bard. Definitely hook me up. Because I want to see as many of you guys as possible, but I have a lot more stuff going on this year, so which is why I'm already putting together who's going to meet where and do what. I'm super excited because uh, one of the things that I'm definitely doing, because many, 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 many people have requested it, is to bring my copy of Kings of Israel. So if you want to play that, if, if I don't even know if Lance and the guys at Fun Hill are going to be at Gen Con or not. But even if they're not, I'm bringing their game, and I will I will plug the heck out of it, because it is a good, solid game. And, yeah, you should be... If you have the opportunity to pick it up, you should. So, definitely contact me about hanging out at Gen Con. And I believe that is all I have. <laughs> well, that is, that is plenty. So, folks, thank you, uh, as always, for listening. And remember, God is the Game Master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.